the scripture for today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 23. Now hear the word of the Lord. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You have five minutes left. <clears throat> she could have been announcing my death sentence, and I would have been even less nervous, okay? It was a Saturday morning, and pencils sat next to scantrons, and a disheveled, what appeared to be a slightly hungover woman who wanted to be anywhere else other than there in that moment, on that morning, was overseeing the time. For everybody else, every bit of our lives led up to now and to filling in the right bubbles with the right amount of graphite. And the next few hours would determine the very trajectory of the rest of our lives. Now, a couple months earlier, my mom, who was a single mother at the time, working around 50 hours a week to care for our family, had also put in the extra time to get some books, to point me out, point me to some study groups, and even help enlist me to some online interactive communities. All of which, to heighten my opportunity to score high on the American College Assessment Testing, what we often call the ACT. <clears throat> now, because here's the deal. If you get a really good score on the ACT, it's the gateway to a really good college, right? And a good college is a gateway to a highly influential career and a successful life and so on. But as these things go, you know, the days turn to weeks. The weeks turned to months until the day finally came and I had done nothing. <clears throat> And even the night before, I thought, I should probably study a little bit. But then I talked myself out of it thinking, you know, I've got good grades. And one of the biggest inhibitors to a good score is stress. So I should go hang out with my friends late into the evening. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, you have five minutes left. My eyes popped open in terror. And I look up to find this disheveled woman shaking her head at I, whom I assumed to be me um, because I had fallen asleep during the reading section <laughs> of the ACT. <clears throat> and I had, you know, all of these bubbles that I had to fill in. So frantically, I just start going with what you know best, which isn't much. ABC, ABC, ABC with the right amount of graphite because if it's going to be there, I want it to count. 
I know it was stupid now. Okay, let's just all be clear. But it was easy. <laughs> it was so easy. And that's it, isn't it? What is it you think about us that we love the easy way? Why are we drawn to what's comfortable, to maybe the path of least resistance? Because we all are, aren't we? Sure, there are certain parts of our lives that are very disciplined, but then there are other parts. Seems like most of our lives is through the framework of choosing what is easy, what is comfortable. And we can even come to see the good life as the comfortable life, the easy life. And subtly, we can come to the Christian life thinking that Jesus is to follow suit, that he is the pathway to our comfort. Now, sure enough, later on, we see in Matthew that he says, take my yoke upon you. It is easy, and his burden is light. But our framework for easy and Jesus' framework of easy rarely align. We can often think the gospel is a new form of infomercial, right? Having trouble paying your bills. Don't know where to, where to store that unwanted guilt. Try the new and improved gospel for free 99, right? And if that's you this morning, maybe you heard a pitch from someone somewhere that, you know, Jesus helps you with your parenting. He helps alongside of broken marriages. He enters the life of the lonely. He helps us with worry. He even can take the most fragmented of lives and makes them whole. And maybe this morning you're thinking, now's the time I'm going to give Jesus a chance. Well, let me first say, I'm really glad you're here. Because I know each and every one of us does have hard things going on in our lives, stress that builds up. And some of you in particular are going through very difficult situations. And we here at Christ Community genuinely believe that following Jesus does make life better, that he does turn beauty out of ashes, and I want that for you. But if you think that following Jesus is easy, it's better, yeah, but easy? Let me ask you a different question. How easy is easy enough for you to keep following Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you're skeptical of the claims of Christianity and you're wondering how far you're going to really pursue this. How easy is easy enough for you to keep pursuing and exploring Christianity? Maybe to ask it a different way, how uncomfortable is too uncomfortable before this whole Jesus thing is just a little too much? Before following Jesus actually makes your life harder, will you keep going? Because what we find in our passage this morning is that for Jesus, he really wants us to know, he really wants us to hammer home that if, if following Jesus for you is easy, you're doing it wrong. If following Jesus for you is easy, you're probably following the wrong Jesus. And off-brand Jesus is never as good as the real thing. And look, none of this should surprise us to this point. If you've been with us as we've been walking through the greatest sermon ever written and preached, the Sermon on the Mount, we see that time and again, Jesus flips all of our concepts of the good life and the good person on its head. And today we come as Jesus challenges our concept of the good life being the comfortable life, the easy life. And instead he gives us three comparisons, two gates, two trees, and two kinds of followers. And what we find is that the Jesus way is unpopular, it's dangerous, and it's really full of the self-deceived. If you're following Jesus and it's easy for you, you're doing it wrong. Everybody comfortable? Seems easy enough, right? Great. Okay, now, if you haven't already, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. If you're using one of our community Bibles, it's on page number 8. 
312. And what we see first here is that the Jesus way is unpopular. It's unpopular. And we see this in the first contrast between two gates. Now, I'm going to reread verses 13 and 14, but I want you to notice the contrast. One gate, one gate is very broad. It's very wide. Another is extremely narrow. One gate is very easy. Another is extremely hard. One leads to destruction, one to life. One has a lot of folks on it. One is found by only a select few. Okay, let's look at verses 13 through 14 afresh. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Entering the Jesus way is unpopular for all of the reasons Jesus just mentioned. But if even you look at your own life, how do you go about making decisions? You know, if I am going to stay in a hotel for the first time, if I'm going to get a DVD from Redbox, if I'm going to try out a new restaurant, what's one of the first things you do? You check the reviews, right? We check the reviews. Have you ever found yourself where you walk into a new restaurant and no one else is there? and the waiting staff is a little too eager to give you any seat you so choose, what's the thing that goes on in your mind? Why isn't anyone else here? <laughs> this doesn't look very inviting. I've made a huge mistake, right? Well, the same is true when you go shopping online. When I had to buy a dehumidifier for my basement, what were my processes? I go looking at consumer reports. I look at YouTube videos. I see how many stars it has on Amazon because if it has less than four stars, I'm not going to waste my time on this thing. And we base a lot of our lives on popular opinion. And to some degree, that's really healthy. But I want you to think about this. How many stars would Jesus have gotten? What do you think his reviews would have been on the Sermon on the Mount? When he says, if you are defined by anger, you are liable for murder. If you are consumed with lust, you're just as screwed up as the guy who's sleeping with his neighbor's wife. Hey, the, the disappointed life is actually the happy life. Love your enemies. If you want to find real treasure, learn to give your stuff away. Is this the kind of thing that later on when he's describing the narrow way and he invites us to join and he says, take up your cross and follow me. Follow me to your death. Hey, what's the return policy on this whole process, right? <laughs> and we shouldn't be surprised when people reject Jesus and the Jesus way, or when people distance themselves from you because you embrace the Jesus way, because it's shocking. It's quite intense, this Jesus way. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, okay, Gabe, if the easy way leads to destruction, I, I think I lead a fairly easy life, fairly, comparatively. And maybe you're even wondering, how do I know if I'm really following Jesus, if I'm going through the narrow gate? I want you to ask yourself a question. It's a clarifying question. Am I living against the grain anywhere? Am I living against the grain anywhere? Not everywhere, because culture is a product of human beings who are made in the image of God, so there will be certain aspects of culture that we affirm, that we actually find ourselves in alignment. But also because culture is a product of human beings that are broken and flawed, there will be times and spaces in which our lifestyle actually goes against the culture's script. 
where it causes people to scratch their heads, where it's unpopular. Now, I know for me, in my life situation, it's fairly easy to treat Jesus like a life coach and not a Lord. That I can accept his advice over here and push against his platitudes over there and set my own pace for a fairly easy and comfortable life. Thank you very much, Jesus. But what we see time and again from the mouth of Jesus himself is that the kingdom of heaven is not a democracy where we get to vote. And our lives aren't determined by the latest Gallup poll. Instead, if a follow, as a follower of Jesus, your life never parts ways with those who are not followers of Jesus. If your values and your very lifestyle is indistinguishable, then you need to ask, who are you following? Who's leading your life? And don't brush past that question. We're going to circle back to it a little bit later. If your attitudes towards work is the same as your coworker who is not defined by the gospel, such that if you're driven, you'll do anything and everything to get ahead, to get that next promotion, or if you're discouraged, then you'll push all work aside and you'll just coast until you get to the weekend. If your standard for your sexuality is merely at the base of as long as no one gets hurt, your politics, you, get, you engage with demonizing the opponent just as much as the next. Your view of wealth consumes and actually defines the very chase of your life. If everything about your lifestyle is exactly the same, look up. You're following someone, but it's the wrong Jesus. Now, when I say that, I do want to give a caution because I don't think Jesus is calling us to be obnoxious nor is he calling us to be weird for weirdness sake. And I think as Christians, we can easily fall into one of those two traps, can't we? Instead, what Jesus is saying is, if you follow me, there will be times where I will call you to say a resounding yes when the rest of culture is seeking to suppress and say a resounding no. There will be times when the rest of culture will say yes, and actually in following Jesus, we will stand and say no. And it's this kind of followership, when people see it in you, when they see it in the church standing together, that will reveal the narrow gate. It will cause more people to have kind of that doggy head tilt kind of moment. And they'll see the life that is in you and the life that it's leading towards. It's hard, it's narrow, and it's exclusive. Only a select few find it, Jesus says. But it's full. Choose the hard way. The next contrast Jesus lays out is between two kinds of trees. The Jesus way, it's not just unpopular, but the Jesus way is also dangerous, which isn't really my love language. <laughs> I don't know about you. Uh, <clears throat> I like my movies on demand. I like my food fast and my house climate controlled. When I get goosebumps, I get ticked at the thermostat. I way too often bow to comfort that I often call safety, and so easily serve ease. But what Jesus goes on to describe is the dangers that lie around this narrow gate. And he even goes on to describe those whom they think they're trying to help. They may even feel like they've got good motives, popular motives, culturally accepted motives, but their lives are leading to self-destruction and they're inviting you to your own demise. Look with me here at verse, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, the first thing we need to recognize, which is not very popular to say, is that Jesus recognizes there are such things as false prophets, which means there is a false message, which means there is a right and a wrong way to live. And their error resides in the fact that they do not embrace, nor do they proclaim the narrow gate that Jesus purports. And actually, we begin to see it in the fruit of their lives being ugly and diseased. Sure, outwardly, they look very sheepish, okay? But inwardly, they're ready to devour you. Not even maybe because they have anything against you, but because they need to feed their own longings and desires. And rather than pursuing God's best for you, you've become the meal. Now, the question resides, like, what kind of people are these? Who are these people? Well, Jesus is talking about spiritual leaders in particular. He's talking about pastors, prophets, teachers, and leaders. Okay, but, but who are these people anyway? Why would they do this? Well, I don't know the hearts of these individuals, but just by example, I want to highlight, what about Oprah, Dr. Phil, and Dr. Oz? There is big money to be made in the people-helping business. Big money. Best-selling books on the New York Times to be sold, ratings to bolster, votes to garner. And pastors and churches and leaders can so easily find themselves in the place where they're chasing after fame or consuming greed. To be seen as important. Oh, if I just was seen and recognized as important. And slowly we use the people around us to manipulate them to gain our own fame and to validate our own self-worth. Jesus says, beware. In other words, be careful what community you surround yourself with, what sort of leaders are speaking into your life, what kind of church you're investing in. And do you even know what you're looking for anyway? The Apostle Paul writing to a church in Galatia. It's one of the earliest letters we have in the New Testament, the letter of Galatians. He writes in chapter 5 that if you want to see what the fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God is actually working through the true gospel that has been proclaimed, that when you take a bite out of someone, when, you, when you're engaging with them in relationship and conversation, you should have this sweet taste of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. These should be elements that come to define a whole new kind of community shaped by the gospel. Are you looking for a people who are just pointing an easy way to follow Jesus or will actually challenge you? Yes, with gentleness and love, but still challenge, pointing you to the hard way. Are you looking for a place where you can just be served because I need a break? Or is it a place where I can also come and serve others also? Are you looking for a community, a community that is faithful and fruitful or just successful? And while there's a pretty major emphasis, I think, here upon the church and pastoral leaders, to be sure, there's a checkmate in my own life that, as a pastoral leader, we need to be very honest about. There's also a broader warning to be careful about anyone who influences you. 
whether it be a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, a boss, anyone whose whisper is a shout in your life, such that when they speak into your life, you almost take it as infallible. Ask yourself, am I being watchful? Am I being watchful? Because the life of faith is dangerous. It's hard. It's narrow. It's difficult. And it doesn't take much to get out of alignment. If you were to ask any mechanic, okay, what it takes for a car to get out of alignment, they would say predominantly two things. The first of which are potholes, those moments when everything is jarred, right? Those are the obvious. But then the second factor in which your car can become misaligned or out of line is time. Just time. Over time, even on the smoothest of roads, your car will become out of alignment. And the same can be true of your life of faith. If you're not paying attention to the leaders, the influences that are in your life, assessing the fruit in their life, not being judgmental, but still assessing, coming with wisdom, does it align with the narrow way? And even the message they're proclaiming. Because if not, you'll find that your life is also pretty shaky. Now, what does it look like to be watchful? Okay? And here are two things I think that are crucial to being watchful. The first is you got to know what you're looking at. And secondly, you need a second opinion. Almost any mechanic will say this, yeah? You need to know what it is you're looking at, and you, you need to get a second opinion. So how do we grow in knowing what we're looking at? How do we know if our life is in alignment with this narrow way and how we can assess even when false messages are being influenced in our lives? It's by growing in your understanding of Scripture the plumb line of truth in our lives. And, and this, is, this can be a fairly simple process to begin to incorporate in your life. Whenever you come to a crux or a moment of decision, ask yourself, does Scripture say anything about this? Does God's Word say anything about this? And then don't just leave it there. Dig in. Go study. Go rummage around. This is your life we're talking about here. We have so many resources available to our fingertips. And if you need help navigating that, I'd love to be a resource to point you to resources. But this is crucial. Learn and grow in knowing what it is you're looking at. Secondly, get a second opinion. Invite people into your life who can point out when you've become misaligned, when you've come out of alignment. When I was in seminary, my sister um, came to Chicago and she got in my car and we got on the highway. <laughs> she goes, do you feel that? I said, do you feel what? No, no, you don't feel that. Feel what? Your car is like it's about to fall apart, you dork. And she goes, she knows. My, my nose was in all of these books, but I'd left the manual of the vehicle aside. And I used to think that alignment was just kind of one of those extras. that when the little marker in your car popped up, you could just avoid it till the next go around. <laughs> and I'd kind of grown accustomed to the shaking. I hadn't even realized it. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then you get into another car and you go, wow, this is smooth, right? It's not until someone else pointed out just how out of alignment my life was, was I willing to actually do something about it. Children in here, one of the most important and vital voices in your life are your parents. And one of the greatest dangers as you're beginning to learn about who Jesus is is the voice of your parents and your older siblings. I hope you're taking the point to really listen to your parents. Obey. Ask them questions to what they mean when they're talking about Jesus and what it means to follow them. For all of us, 
If you're not in a community group, I'd encourage you to get in one. We're actually starting our spring session the second week of April. That's not that far off. Sure, we just started March, but the second week of April. And if you have a note sheet, I'd encourage you to write in the margins there. Second week of April, community group, make it a priority. Make it a priority. And if you are in a community group, I think one of the most easy things to do at this point in the semester is to slowly begin to fade out. Stop praying for those in your group throughout the week. And then the list of things that are on your to-dos become more compelling such that this community, this, this group of relationships, they can be on hold because all of these other things are so much more important. And slowly our car becomes misaligned. Our lives become askew. One of the most strategic ways we as a church seek to cultivate those relationships is through community groups. Fight to be engaged. Don't give up. Finish strong. That's the only way these relationships will be fostered in which people can speak into your life. Once again, this is your life we're talking about here. Are you being watchful? The Jesus way is just too dangerous to coast out of alignment. Which leads us to this last and I think hardest comparison of all. The Jesus way, it's unpopular, yeah, and it's dangerous, but it's also full of the self-deceived. Those who, when they look through their own lens, feel like they're following Jesus, but in reality, they're following the wrong Jesus. And you'd never know it. From the outside looking in, they look really successful. And to be very honest with you, this is one of the most sobering passages I hear from Jesus. Every time I read it, it leads me to deep introspection. Not as if out of fear, but in sober self-assessment. And I want to invite us to do the same. Look with me here at verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are those who know the right words. They know it, the game, the way to talk about Jesus. They've done really cool and pretty powerful things in public. They'd swear they're Christians. You'd swear they're Christians. And they may not even be intentionally trying to fake it, but they're lying to themselves. They're self-deceived. How do we know? Because there is one voice that matters above all voices. And in the end, Jesus always sees the real you. Always. Notice what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, oh, thanks for giving me a litany of all the great things you've done. I remember you now. Okay, thank you, thank you. He doesn't say, yeah, that was then and this is now. Sorry for the change in management. Instead, what Jesus says is, I never knew you. That whole time you were trying to do all these great things in my name, all these powerful works in my name, you furthered the fight against injustice, you brought about healing, you worked against demonic forces, all in my name, but it had nothing to do with me. So get out of here. And it doesn't sound like the really nice Jesus we're used to hearing 
He's telling them to leave. Let's be very clear. And this knowing that Jesus is talking about, it's not just affirming the facts. He knows how many hairs are on each one of our heads. What is it about this knowing that's so crucial to our eternal destiny? For Jesus, this knowing is an intimate relationship of trust. Time and again, when you look throughout Scripture, you find this word in Hebrew, yada, that's often talked about. Early on, when it talks even about Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, it says Adam knew Eve. There's this intimate relational knowing of trust. To know him and to be known by him. To walk with him. To basically live your life in light of his presence. Invite him into your decision-making process and follow wherever he leads. Jesus is inviting us all the way from the beginning here when he invites Peter and Andrew, James and John to follow him. That he has the words of life. That his revealed will is the will of our heavenly father. And that if we embrace him, we so embrace his father as our father and his will as our will. Abraham Kuyper, he was a Dutch journalist and statesman. He was the prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. He was also a Christian. And he had a very busy life, very busy. I mean, leading a country and all, right? But the way he leads by example in continuing to keep contemplation and reflection at the center of his life, making margin for reflection and his walk with, with God, it's astounding. And I want you to listen to some of his own collection of devotionals that he writes. He insightfully says, For many years you may have had a general love for God and yet have never come to know God. This knowledge of God only comes when love for him begins to take on a personal character. When on the pathway of life for the first time you have met him, when the Lord has become a personal presence by the side of your own self, which means he isn't you. When God and you have entered into a conscious, vital, personal, particular relationship, he your father and you his child. Have you ever come to know God like that? That's what Jesus is inviting us to. The sort of knowing him and being known by him that demands the absolute surrender of our will to his will our loves to be reordered by his loves, to be known and to know him. And let us be clear. No two people can walk together unless they're in agreement. And God's the one that never had to move. <laughs> he's perfect. He's holy. He's right. He's good. He's loving. Imagine if at every turn in your life, the question that first popped into your mind is, what would God have me do here? And then you just did it. You didn't second guess it. You didn't push against it. You just did it. And as the, as the revealed word or the revealed will of God comes in scripture, is affirmed by the community of faith, we don't do this in isolation, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we actually follow God's lead. Not by performance, but because we genuinely trust him. We see him as good and trustworthy, and we long to know him and to be known by him, not to just do a litany of actions so that we can feel good about ourselves. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. 
Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't saying that somehow we're going to be good enough and earn God's approval. That's, that couldn't be further from the truth. None of us would be able to make it if that were the case. We're saved by grace through faith, by God's unmerited favor, and through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the cross and his resurrection. But it is this functional trust in Jesus that will always result in a changed life. Maybe not as fast or as robust as we'd hoped in that moment, but eventually transformation does take shape. And following Jesus on this unpopular, on this dangerous path, it lives first and foremost with the audience of one over the recollection and recognition of the many. So let me ask you this morning to ask yourself, who am I really following? A question we asked earlier, but who am I really following? Because hear me showing up on Sunday morning, serving once a month, being generous with your tithes and offerings, being a nice person. Well, I think those are really crucial components to what it looks like and so follow Jesus to be a little Christ, a Christian. That is not what makes you a Christian. None of those can save you. Salvation comes alone in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and in trusting in him alone. Dependence and allegiance to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He's the only way to life, the only healthy tree. Have you given your life to him? Have you told him you long to know him and be known by him? Are you willing to say, wherever you lead, whatever you call, I will follow? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus. What's holding you back? Maybe this morning, it's doubts. And those are very real. And if that's you this morning, and you're skeptical of the claims of Christianity and this whole Jesus thing, I challenge you to just take a chance and test the claims of the gospel. Try the way of Jesus and see what happens. I do think, though, for most, one of the biggest obstacles is less our doubts and more with the fact that the Jesus way is indeed hard, and I won't say it isn't. I think it's better, but it's not that it's not hard. I had a friend of mine I have a friend of mine, and she's not a follower of Jesus. And I remember having a very frank conversation with her. And she said, you know, Gabe, one of my biggest hang-ups with Christianity isn't my doubts. I think it has to do with my fear more than anything, the fear that's underneath my doubts. My fear that if God really did create all of this, if there is a being who made the world and actually has say over my life, then I'm not the master of my own life anymore, and that terrifies me. Look, that may not be you this morning, but it might be. To know that you surrender to someone who is over you, who is better than you, but also loves you more deeply than you can ever imagine. So if it's all, all of this is that difficult, why on earth would we chase after it? <laughs> right? Remember what Jesus says back in verse 14. Yeah, the way or the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. 
This is where life and life abundant is found. There are not many paths that lead up to the mountain. There is only one way of salvation. And later on, Jesus says this. We see it recorded in the gospel account of John, chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There are no other ways to this life that is everlasting. You can choose another way. Many have before you. You will not be alone in this path if you choose to disregard Jesus' narrow gate. Many people choosing to live life in their own norms and in their own way, pursuing comfort and ease, but in the end, it'll cost you everything you sought to hold dear, even your life. As Jesus says in another place, those who seek to keep their lives will lose it, but those who will lose their life for my sake will find it. Do you want to find life and life everlasting? And listen. In the unique mystery of the Godhead, God the Father sent God the Son, and he left the comfort of heaven. He entered the pain of this world and so blazed the trail of hope that we might know him and follow him. And so he went ahead on the hard way before we could even walk. He went down the Via della Rosa, the way of grief and suffering, and he died on that old rugged tree, the diseased tree, and he took all of our pain and our diseased fruit and our ugly fruit upon himself. And then three days later, he rose again, seen by hundreds of witnesses who had actually rejected him when he went to the cross. But after they saw him resurrected, gave their lives, died even more brutal deaths to some degree because they were so convinced they had seen the resurrected Jesus. Everything changed. And the only one who conquered death and now comes to offer everlasting life that not even death can undercut comes also offering forgiveness because we know our flaws and our failures even after we follow Jesus. And he comes offering a better way of life now. Not necessarily easy, but better that leads to life. A life of knowing and being known by the God of the universe. If following Jesus for you is easy, you're doing it wrong and you're following the wrong Jesus. Are you willing to follow the real Jesus even when it gets hard? Even when it causes major changes in your life? Are you being aware of who has your ear in life? Don't be caught sleeping like I was. And so scrambling in the end. Sure, you maybe have more than five minutes, but we don't have very long. Who are you following, really? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you aware of the ways in which we lie to ourselves so often. I pray that by the power of your spirit and the gospel that has been proclaimed, you would pierce our hearts afresh, that if there are those here who have yet to surrender to you, that you would break apart those obstacles and they would come to follow you exclusively and celebrate Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one who has lived, died, and rose again as the only way of life and salvation, the only way of fulfillment and ultimate joy. For those of us who have been following, who have sought to pursue Jesus, 
I pray, Lord, for the areas in which we are out of alignment, that even now you would be working by the power of, the, of, of your spirit to bring us back in alignment, that the fruit of the spirit that the Apostle Paul talks about would be evident in our lives, that you would be bringing about this transformation, that we no longer have to live according to the law of our flesh, but now can live life in the spirit that the, Paul, that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 8. Not perfection, but spirit-empowered life that really is different in the unpopular dangerous way of Jesus. May we hear you. May we know you and be known by you. In Jesus' name, amen.